Well, 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 here we go. Hi, Sherry and Alan. Hello. First of all, thank you so much. I am so grateful for both of you to come on to my podcast today, which is a very important podcast, I think. Uh, we know that uh, Truth and Reconciliation is is coming up here on September 30th. And I really wanted to honor the children um, and the legacy and the future um, of this of this day. Um, but before we start talking about um, Orange T-Shirt Day, I want to I want to get both your stories. So, Alan, maybe you go first. Tell a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, it turns out that uh, um, my mom had married out of mission school early to get off the res and start life. And she had uh, had my older brother. Um, her husband died. An older man she married died. And then she was kicked off the farm. And then she come back. And she was an early 20-year-old woman and with a baby and been kicked off a farm from Flair, I think, or the area. But, um, yeah, the family kicked her out. Uh, she, she, So, anyways, the story goes that she just decided she had to get out of here. So she asked Kokomo Muslim to mind her kids because uh-huh. she had to in love with another fella. I've got a wedding picture of her in 1962 marrying uh-huh. this and a uh, beautiful May day. And my Kokomo was there. My chaplain was there, my great-grandmother, um, my grandfather, and, and, uh, and my grandfather's brother's. And uh, this fellow that married my mom, he was a uh, Burren card and they split up. So thankfully, cause we wouldn't have existed otherwise. So then right. um, <laughs> I'm thankful. <laughs> so my, um, so they split up and she decided to move to BC, met my dad in a lumber camp. He was a Sawyer. Um, there was a lot of racism going on in that period mm. and really racism. I mean, yep. squaw was a word that was continued thrown around. Every time they got drinking and fighting, he, she was mm-hmm. a squaw, take your half-breed Indian kids the hell out of here or the wow. half out of here. So just types of things like that. But mm-hmm. that was the nature of what he grew up in and, and the man yeah. worked with, you know, the community. He was very uh, blue-eyed, uh, Finnishman. Um, wow. He had uh, lost all his teeth along the way from mm-hmm. dental you know, because they were actually orphaned. His dad died from a tree falling accident on Vancouver Island. Oh, my grandpa. Um, but died five years later from internal injuries and complications, oh. and just fell down in front of him dead. At him, my dad was five, so they were actually. But he does recall a story that he was. There was no social services at the time. That would have been nineteen thirty nine, forty four, right, forty five. And the people of the local native communities in the area, we used to leave venison and food for this widowed family. Oh. And that was how they served part of how they survived initially, mm-hmm. right? Through the, it's not terribly cold there, but it does get pretty ugly in the winter. And they would uh, wake up to stuff left on their doorstep. My mom, he told my mom. And uh, so anyways, they fell in love uh, in the lumber camp. She moved him into her shack. She was second cook. Um, she was a native gal. Um, and they just had this odd drinking, loving relationship that they decided to have children and live and mm-hmm. they got married. I think my, my daughter, my sister was out of wedlock and then they got married and my brother, and there was a boy between my sister and I, he miscarried and then my younger brother. And then we just, the story continued, but a lot of drinking, a lot of alcoholism, a lot mm-hmm. of work, a lot of workaholism, alcoholism, um, cause yeah. dad, uh, just went to work early to support his, his siblings and his mom. So you so talk about, um, sorry, you talk about uh, being BC in the community there. Is that where yeah. you're originally from or? Actually, well, my mom was from Sucker Creek and I was okay. born in Wind Lake. 
and then we moved all over. So I had 23 schooling institutions when I went to college in 1994. Wow. Yeah, wow. I've been to 23 schools. Um, just moved all over the province, all over Alberta, okay. all over Canada. We didn't have like, I was born in Wims Lake, but we didn't really reside uh, here. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, not okay. a hometown. Gotcha. We, so what uh, would you consider, there. what would you consider your, your community then, which... Ah. I've been married for 36 years now, so her, my wife lets me put my pillow and, and stay with her. That's where my home is. <laughs> so I don't care. I don't really actually care. But Sucker Creek is my, my home community, okay. um, and I'm part of it. We've been here for a dozen years. So a third of our marriage now has been in Sucker Creek. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to we're gonna live here. We have land here now. We, we live oh, here. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, okay. That's kind of cool. All right. Okay. Well, uh, then let's uh, turn it to Sherry. Tell a bit about yourself. <laughs> Hi. Um, Hi. So I come from a pretty large family and it, we have a bit of an odd history. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was from Nova Scotia. My dad was born and raised in Southern Alberta, um, but my mm -hmm. mom couldn't have kids. And so um, my mom was working as a professor at Brandon University. My dad was attending the university. Oh. and uh, they couldn't have kids, so they decided to adopt. So in that process of adoption, they found out they were pregnant with me and decided to follow through with the adoption in case the pregnancy didn't stick. And yeah. then seven years later, they had my little brother. Um, but my five oldest siblings are originally from a family of 10. Oh. Um, they were adopted through the 60 Scoop. Oh. So, yeah, so I have this... Um, really conflicting a uh, position about the 60s yeah. without it i would have no family and right right at the same time what a horrific way to what a horrific uh -huh. way to things like nobody yeah. wants that. um yeah they they are connected with their family and they have a good relationship i have uh -huh. a very good relationship with my brothers and sisters we grew up in a small town in the northwest territories oh yeah uh, that time was a magical time for us to be growing up there uh, that i agree is, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You you know what I'm talking about. My point um, right here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I talk about home, uh, that's mm. what I talk about. I still oh. am very connected. Um, I have a handful of friends. I live in Calgary now, mm -hmm. um, and I've lived all over the place. I've lived in the U.S. and I've lived yeah. um, all over Alberta. Um, yeah. But um, when I talk about home, it's it's Fort Smith. It's the Northwest Territories, and so I grew up in a predominantly Indigenous community. I was a minority. Mm -hmm. um, so I have like, for me, um, this was like associating with and hanging out with and, and indigenous people being, um, you know, holding positions of leadership and power yeah. and those things that was normalized for me growing up mm -hmm. coming south, um, and observing the way the racism that existed in the city yep. was such yep. a strange thing for me. Yep. Like it was very unsettling, um, and confusing. Like I was, mm -hmm. I was when we moved south and so I was very confused about what the yeah. video was, you know mm -hmm. um, my parents were very progressive my mom was a very forward thinker um mm -hmm. she was the first person to organize uh the native women in our town to create um a shelter for battered women in our town like she initiated that and yeah. she also initiated a program for the women's um prison in our town where women could gain employment and oh started that program and, yeah. and it goes back to when she was working at um, Brandon University she started a program for First Nations 
um, people to uh-huh. be able to come to Brandon University and complete their high school while they were working towards a teaching degree. Oh, um, so she built a hybrid program, a, the the pet program, which is still in place today. Brandon University yeah. still, still follows that model today. So uh-huh. I grew up with very progressive parents. My dad uh-huh. was, um, although he, uh, you know, <laughs> I think I think in our home things were a little different, but out in the uh-huh. community. You know, he he championed women and um, and First Aww. Nations people. His master's was so he was a teacher. He taught mm-hmm. education at the college, and his master's was focused on Indigenous education, like how how do Indigenous children learn and yeah. how do we adapt our teaching styles to um, include that. And so he taught all over the Northwest Territories. Um, so that's the history that I come from. Is that sort right. of very? It's not that I don't see color. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. People- and I see mm-hmm. the different ways that people show up. It just doesn't yep. matter. It just yep. doesn't. Um, it doesn't influence yep. the, the value or the worth that people bring to the table when they come to the table. Absolutely, so, you are right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know what? I agree with you. My life in the Northwest Territories was 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 magical, like you mentioned. And then we moved down to Alberta, and the, you know, a lot of the racism there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. I experienced it. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Okay, so uh, you know, thank you for sharing your stories. I want to delve deep now, Alan, especially since we're talking about uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. I would like to you you, you to expand on your your family's history in the residential school, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Anyway, so mom was uh, born in '42, and so she was uh, six years old, having no indication anything was going to come her way. She remembers somewhere in the wartime efforts, they were moving U.S. troops through here for the Alaskan Highway, some such, or troops Uh around. And she remembers seeing a black man in the train, or numerous black people coming across on the train. And they would go out to see the train, right? Um, And they would wait. And she couldn't understand what was going on. Like, you know, just real innocent childhood of um, my mother remembers Cookham you know, singing the little birds that make these noise, cheer up children, cheer up children, like mm-hmm. always real sweet. My mom was, my grandmother was fairly innocent. She was, uh, survived the 1918 Spanish flu. Her parents died. Wow. She was old and they tried to make her a, a nun and she could think oh. she didn't. She met my grandfather and he, uh, he couldn't, <laughs> yeah. they couldn't keep him in mission school when it started because it was yeah. so new. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he would just run away in the bush. Um, but he had to take his daughter, his children starting because my mom was like a middle to late child, okay. and they had to take all his children on pain of I think it was a couple years in, in you know imprisonment per child. Uh-huh. So he had to rather than have so he opted to bring his kids to the mission school, which is about fifteen minutes away, um, probably half a day by wagon and stuff. Eh? Okay. And my grandfather was was a well-to-do as far as he was able to trap and and uh it was a carpenter my grandmother had a huge garden they fed people um they just took care of each other and others her garden was yeah. huge apparently that's what i keep hearing about and she made mm-hmm. high and and she beat it wow. and she sold. so they had a life where they could manage their dozen kids right but they weren't allowed to so that was a great sadness came along in the communities i think a lot of alcoholism stemmed from there because they may also yeah. make brew so I must have played the fiddle. They had lots of parties. Yeah. She had this idyllic life, but she went to mission school at six and they cut Mm -hmm. her hair off into a bob and they 
threw her hair ribbons into the floor and a big mound of hair, she remembers. And that was the first time she's ever been hit was in oh. uh, the words sabage. And, you know, it was uh, the dousing with the powder and the showering and the stripping away of her identity or she was uh. just... And what they called having charges was older girls who'd been there longer to mine the younger ones to be clear uh -huh. to them, give them opportunity to, um, to, uh, how do I put it, to mine the younger kids, quit crying, don't cry. Uh, yeah. Kai means don't cry, stop crying, don't cry. Yeah. Um, and she remembers this being something they would tell her, don't cry, don't speak your language on fear of corporal punishment right uh -huh. so and there was a lot manner of shenanigans going there we'll talk further later i guess about the irs uh truth and reconciliation or the uh -huh. ground truth thing we're doing at the mission school uh -huh. um, and so yeah so there is anomalies we found there's quite a number of them of yeah. actual children buried where they said they were buried the priest workshop the barn outside of the outside of the, the, the cemetery uh -huh. so just they said it and they were found and we could see the graves we could see the likely graves the possibles the probables like just based on the shape shape and size of graves yeah. right? oh. so it's pretty disturbing so we've got 88 anomalies we're dealing with and that's the first 1.3 acres out of 20 some acres so like you know these are the we picked the highlighted areas the elders have gone through that so my uh -huh. mother entered that mission school into the residential school lived there for nine years and she lived or died with bronchial pneumonia for six weeks and no care. So she was oh, left alone in the infirmary. Gosh. And so she could live or die. And she chose to live and survive, or good thing she did. So I feel like yeah. everything and my my fifteen grand my wife and I's fifteen grandkids and us and our marriage and, and our my life is all mm -hmm. been based upon her ability to survive. And uh so she didn't That's experience amazing. her sex offense from school and the priests and the nuns it was here yeah. in the community but from historic sex offended against children coming back to the community getting older mm -hmm. and so this uh cycle we have yeah. a rampant history of sexual offense and right. uh, documented priests mm -hmm. nuns sexual offense against boys and girls yes so this this was introduced to us yeah right introduced to our, our communities mom just she had to keep me safe she had to keep our children safe her boys her daughters from that um it didn't wasn't so successful um we were okay we were moved we grew up in bc elsewhere but it was rampant in the community mm -hmm. in the area and based and predicated on priests and nuns you know assaulting and abusing and, and using children and uh -huh. teaching them this so yeah so i i don't know how i feel about that yeah uh, i can imagine my wife, my mom kept us safe from that. My dad kept us safe from that. But uh, uh -huh. she does remember seeing her offender when he was on his deathbed. Yeah. And he knows, Margaret, I know, he said, I know, you know, but there, he's an old man dying by that time. Yeah. So she uh, she had some closure of some sort. She lived her life and she, she carried on the best she could. She got some education the best she could. She was, she uh -huh. was, uh, you know, the education was mediocre, uh -huh. you know, subpar. Her math was always really super weak, and uh, she mm -hmm. could write to a degree. Um, but I think a lot of uh, a lot of our history is in utero trauma, right? right. Where we talked about this last night, Sherry, where 
I don't want to like say I'm FAS or I'm FA, you know, I'm fetal right. syndrome or mm-hmm. I don't feel that. I just know that I, you know, there is fight or flight mechanisms that I'm like, I have to really monitor myself. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you're, you grew up in, you know, in utero and violence and drinking mm-hmm. and that's what you're yeah. drinking because mom wouldn't drink when she was pregnant, but mm-hmm. the violence, the fears, the anxiety, there's, you know, those pheromones and hormones, Mm-hmm. you know flowing through you know cross placenta to me and some other yeah. you know, so i'm sure we're all affected and we're globally affected mm-hmm. so residential school was absolutely an atrocious thing yes and yeah. um there's no way to make it shine a light on it that and an interesting point of view a friend of mine said clearly to me that she was so astounded to think that she even had her own bias caucasian lady but still, oh. her husband was a survivor, is a survivor. And uh, she said that women are more violent. She understands now that women are not predominantly, or there's not, women are not more kind inherently than men. Mm-hmm. They're vicious or worse. Yeah. And, she, and uh, the nuns oh. were terrible. And actually, yeah. matter of fact, the only time I did get hit was in a Catholic school in grade three and I got slapped by a nun, like slapped. It was like, wow. The behavior, the authority, the autonomy, the uh, power mm-hmm. over a group of people, yeah. supported by the government, you know, and mm-hmm. allowed to, you know, continue complete reign over another group of people based on race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the gender, the gender flip-flop from a paternalistic mindset, European mindset, to mm-hmm. what we, like, I'm a mama's boy and I'm fine by that. Like, doesn't yeah. make me any less of a man. It just makes me more respectful to women, and I think yeah. it's, it's served me well um, in my marriage to be like I'm okay that my wife, you know, shoots a handgun and swings an axe and whatever she mm-hmm. wants to do. Does. And yeah. as a nurse, you know, support the family when she says, "No, you quit your job because you can't stand it. You're not doing well there." Yeah. And so I quit. And I moved to another job or do something else or change careers. And I've been really blessed, and I wouldn't be like that had I, you know, been raised by my father exclusively. To be him. Mm -hmm. My mom had a huge influence in a maternalistic, I think in a matriarchal maternal way. Um, She had an influence on me that she wouldn't allow for that. She wouldn't allow for us to be misogynistic. I very much have believed that women and men have different roles in a marriage and a relationship and a family. And uh, and people disagree if they want, but my wife and I, she doesn't do breaks and I don't do uh, cooking. (laughs) you know laundry i i, I can't right. help put it away but now we we get our laundry done at the laundry bag uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right on yeah but that's it. Well, school was awful yeah you know what i've what i've seen by your story that you told is that the the your they, they had resilience right they wanted mm-hmm. to um in many ways they wanted to survive so that they can maybe carry on that legacy and show the future you know the children that uh, this experience was bad but let's let's it shows the people actually the indigenous people how strong they really are and how how important it is to to keep that culture alive right like there's so that many motive I think, I think while they were surviving they were just trying to get through because there was yeah. a disparity in poor food quality they had served uh, in another room and their food yeah. was what they grew, all the food mm-hmm. product. It's basically a slave farm. Yeah. Um, where, and I've heard this lots where they had cows and milk and cheese and bread and all mm-hmm. manner of uh, foodstuffs and, and uh, gardening stuff and huge gardens. 
and yeah. they would make profit off that but the children would eat li literally like you yeah. see like they would, you know weevily uh, gruel and and uh, my mom oh. could never eat uh, sunny boy porridge wasn't something she could manage yeah um and that's what they grew up on they fed they mm -hmm. got the garbage whilst they whilst they served the priests and nuns to good food in another dining hall so so they just survived yeah they just got through they weren't doing anything in their intention heroic or good they were just mm -hmm. trying to help each other so to bring it back home, and I, I think I know what you're saying, but mm -hmm. for me to explain it is we were doing rollout, yeah. trying to identify more pictures from our ground truthing, um, getting ready for our first initial, you know, demonstration to the people, like having a group mm -hmm. gathering. Yeah. So we're trying to identify more pictures, and these two ladies came, and they were way up north. We're at a Treaty 8 gathering, and they were looking at me once I introduced myself, and I said, and I introduced that my mom was Margaret, and she was, you know, mm -hmm. such and such. And they told about half an hour, they came back around, and they said to me, and I'm like, are you okay? And they were kind of got emotional, and they said, uh, we have to, we decided we have to tell you that we we knew your mother in mission school, and that we loved your mother, and your mother saved us. She was our big girl. She was our charge. You know, and these are old ladies now. They're in their 70s. Yeah. And they're just eating buttons. But they wanted to tell me that they loved my mother. Aww. And she saved them and she protected them and she she kept them safe. So they they, the children, found means and ways of surviving. Mm -hmm. Mom used to be fairly well off with her candies and hair ribbons and stuff she could share mm -hmm. she was small she used that yeah. from my auntie gertie who's from deer parlor a ways away mm -hmm. and auntie gertie was basically my mom's muscle took care of yeah. my mom and kept her safe physically she was my mom's protector until mm -hmm. my mom was big enough to be in charge to be a charge girl and a and a, and, yeah. uh, and a protector of these two girls that told mm -hmm. me this last summer that they loved my mother right so That's it's amazing. just so so they survived. The children survived by creator's uh -huh. grace. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I want to hear your, if you have experiences to share, I absolutely, please do. Well, this, is, this is interesting because I meet a lot of people who are um, non-Indigenous who okay. will say to me, I don't really have an experience. I don't really have any frame of reference or whatever. If you take into consideration the six degrees of separation, mm -hmm. we all, we all have some kind of connection or experience mm -hmm. with yeah. residential schools. So Fort Smith, the town that I grew up in, had a residential school. Um, and I think that our experience was unique. And I'm not going to, like, I I didn't participate. I wasn't, and you know, I lived with my parents and I went to school. Um, yeah. But I think it's different everywhere in the country. Like, I think right. even across the territories, um, the uh -huh. residential the territories were different experiences uh -huh. um, so I certainly went to school with kids that were in residential school technically yeah um, but it was a very different experience however my son's father so my number two child my son's father um, went to day school uh -huh. and, and his older siblings went to residential school and so that experience certainly influenced the way he moved through life and right. the way he interacted with his parents, his siblings, uh -huh. his friends, his intimate partners, his uh -huh. so on and so forth. It definitely um, influenced his fight or flight system. Yeah. It definitely shifted things for him 
in terms of some of the choices that he made that then resulted in him being unable to participate as a as a co-parent for his children right and so my son missed out on um some of those experiences that you would hope to enjoy when uh-huh. your mother is white and your father is Cree. Uh-huh. Um, and that was difficult for him. Yeah. Certainly, um, my my husband and I are very, very comfortable on his reserve. We've been to his reserve. We uh-huh. supported when when my son's grandfather passed away and he wanted to go, but he didn't feel comfortable going by himself. We packed the whole family and we went. Uh-huh. But we had to take on a very unconventional role there because Um, his dad had made some choices as a result of his experiences that were directly related to residential schools. And so you you see the cascade effect that that has, right? Mm -hmm. And now as an adult, they're building a relationship um, because my my practice is to, to, uh, to lift up, build up. And because my First Nations, uh-huh. um, th- there's no value in me taking any position on something I have no no experience with. And right. so, so we just um, uh-huh. you know, we just were the example of empathy uh-huh. and understanding and neutrality. You know, it's none of our yeah. business. Whatever yeah. it whatever happened with him is none of uh-huh. our business. Our uh-huh. our job is uh-huh. to love and support, and that's it. That's uh-huh. where that is. That's yeah. that's what my role is, and so that's uh-huh. what we do. But it's interesting to hear other. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. I grew up in a different, in a different era. So the era that I grew up in, you know, First Nations people were Aboriginal or Indian, uh-huh. and the white yeah. people. Yeah, and so it's always interesting for me to hear other white people say, "Yeah, I don't know anything about residential schools. I don't know anybody. You know, I don't have anybody that." And I'm like, I doubt it. You know, uh-huh. let's, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. where that goes because yeah. I bet that you know somebody who's been impacted by the residential schools and now that is true you know when you think about um you think about Meshach's dad's experience and my experience with his dad and then now Meshach and his experience with his friends and his girlfriend and her you know and on and on and mm-hmm. on and on right yeah it just it just goes like this it's like a spiral yeah. It's and it's all connected. Yeah. And it's all connected. And yeah. it's all connected. So although I had like personally my experience with residential schools was very like I mean there's there's no it's not even worth talking about because it was such yeah. a different thing up in mm-hmm. the territories. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but for my my son and his dad it certainly changed mm-hmm. changed their lives. Wow, that's incredible. Holy jeez, what a story. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that, nice right? to learn about all these different, you know, types yeah. of experiences for sure. So okay. Amy, um, where are we at now? Uh okay, so where are we at it all had to come out of res- we all had to come out of alcoholism. I, uh, I dabbled in when I first got married. For uh-huh. some reason, so I've been I've been since and I think I talked to Cher about this in, in, in the violence and the alcoholism and the the just atrocity yeah. of uh, Margaret's unmanaged, you know, um, mission school effect, mm-hmm. uh, um, sex abuse, trauma, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dealing with that with my mom, she was either Margaret or she was mom. And when she was mm-hmm. off and getting, getting wild, she, I, we would have to Margaret stop. 
like you need to stop this from a very young mm. age so it would be like hey margaret you need to stop like we need to stop then it would be mom again when she kind of snapped out of it so then we just kind of had this relationship where I was a confidant at a very early age, which is his own sort form of abuse, right? Uh-huh. Well, I was always the one that he told stories to, or we, you know, leaving the middle of the night for a, you know, bloody fight and everything else, and broken up again. So everything is predicated on coming out of alcoholism, right? right. If she hadn't done the courageous things along the way, uh-huh. I never would have been suitable because I was a frightening person as a young man and my wife and I barely made it through. Um, you know, I'm glad she's a psych nurse and could make some decisions, but it was all predicated, I guess, on out coming out of alcoholism, but based on that crater would speak to me. God would speak wow. to me. We're going to survive this. We're going to get wow. through. I'm gonna go and it led me to marry my wife at 19 years old. Wow. Not, yeah. To make decisions that were, uh-huh. I believe, you know, led by God, by creator. Yeah. And then moved on forward in my life and everything has been kind of built on that. And it's not a matter of faith believing and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I really do believe creator tells me and gives me direction. And I wait to hear that. Oh. And, and when I choose to make my own way, I end up there's usually failure <laughs> involved. And then, so when I stop and listen and do listen and do follow direction, wow. it, it comes clear. And so What's come from all of this is that now I'm a sun dancer, um, which is very serious uh, activity for mm-hmm. me in my life now. Um, wow. And I'm obligated to four years of it. I'm in my oh, second year. Just finished nice. second year. But wow. it's involved fasting and singing and dancing and uh-huh. not eating and drinking for days on end. But, mm-hmm. um, and then living a life that uh, is worthy of that. So I grew my braid out. I spoke about earlier. I got this long braid. took me this eight yeah. years. Really. But wow. I never had hair before like this. I was always making, trying to make it in the in the white world. Uh, prove myself to everybody I worked with that I was worthy and everything else. Right. And, uh, that was all the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So I started drinking. So braids should be completely free of alcohol, drugs, violence, anger, everything. If you're going to wear a, a, a and much like a, a Sikh's turban, that's mm, a person right. you're able to run to for protection and they're right. obligated to. That's mm-hmm. my understanding of a turban, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Where with a braid, I should be seen the same way, not how it's seen or elsewise. And that, or, you know, you shouldn't be wearing a braid if you're drinking and drugging, right? And yeah. living violent lives and all that kind of stuff. It's like so, sacred. It's like yes. sacred. Yeah. Yes. It's a living yeah. piece of me. So. Uh, that's all sweet grass is about why we braid our hair there's a ton of teachings and the rest of it and so now i just i live this life that is full of ceremony and purpose and reason i'm also a fireman for past dozen years and uh, oh wow (laughs) we built uh, you know i was a carpenter for years that was a failed business but i worked Mm -hmm. in the prison system as a native liaison officer and uh and i was initially a mechanic so i have these four big career choices but and nursing allowed me for that so we've worked uh-huh. and navigated my wife's a very faithful person um in her christian faith and uh, and we she has come along on these journeys with me so she's wow. uh didn't have my back now that is again a faith decision that i was supposed to marry her and never had any intention of marrying anybody at 19 years old so we oh, wow. married seven months after i met her so I feel like creators spoke to me in the right times through all mm-hmm. of the 
as a child. It, like almost woke up my own faith uh -huh. that Peter told me when I was seven, eight years old with uh -huh. my mother's blood on me and yeah. leaving the middle of the night to, to, to run away from a violent encounter again, that we'd be okay. Crater's going to, she's going to be okay. That And Crater has always spoke to me. Yeah. That's so amazing. Wow. I don't know if that, what you're after, but that's, that's, that's a that's... beautiful answer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. It's I done pack, but we don't have time to pack it all. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. Can you top that, Sherry? <laughs> <laughs> well, just move on. Back to yeah. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to Alan. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool. I'm. Uh, but we got my... all the kids off the. We got all the kids off the payroll now, so Ann and I live in the bush <laughs> in the big RV. It's and we 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 have a mill and we have dogs and we have guns wow. and beautiful. And yeah, so we have other plans for the future. One of them is having a um, a wedding barn slash palliative oh. care center slash you know ceremony space. Oh, um, yeah. Horses. So we want to. And we actually had had some children born in teepees that we participated with our grandchildren. Wow! Because of, COVID, <gasps> because of COVID, yeah. Oh. So we're we've got some plans wow. for the future that you know are, are, are that are involved ceremony and simple living. Mm -hmm. and, and oh. care of each other. Yeah. So simple. Anyways, that's what I love. That was yeah. beautiful. That was beautiful. You want to add to uh, Sherry to any of that? <laughs> I can't. What is there? Yeah, I don't give me. <laughs> but this is not unique. I don't think any of us are unique. We all have a yeah. faith and belief, and and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My conversations with Creator were quite different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, me too. You don't even want to know what my my story was on that, but um, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm glad that I am, you know, part of this community and, and learning, you know, uh, indigenous, like I said, spirituality to me, it's very near and dear you know, to my, my heart. My theory yeah. about this is that it's not that you guys are any different or not. I just feel like I'm directly linked to an ancestral tribal lifestyle. Like my Love great it. grandfather was born on the land, in the land yeah. with a midwife, oh. no medical system. Yeah. Like, he came across country as an Iroquois boatman. My great grandfather's wow. dad actually was the Iroquois yeah. boatman, but they were all wow. born outside of a tax system. They were born mm. having to work and fend in the bush, and mm -hmm. and there's a term for term for it. But the thing is, the premise is that they could take care of themselves. You know the word "sauvage." I understand part of that definition. It's a French word meaning mm -hmm. people who take, who can manage themselves in the bush. Yeah, who yeah. can fend for themselves. Yeah, who are independent of. And that's some concept mm -hmm. we don't have now, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think if anything, I still am closely tied to that tribal mm -hmm. people. Then mm -hmm. maybe, you know, maybe other people from other parts of the world aren't as connected to the tribes. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. That that's that's a conversation we could have for hours, but we, we gotta move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Sherry, I'll I'll let you speak on this. Um, you yeah. know, we, let's talk about Truth and reconciliation, you know, what does that mean to you? And, uh, you know, add your comments on how we could create a more awareness for this for this day that's so important. So <clears throat> I think truth and reconciliation for me um, really goes back to um, starting with the truth, starting yes. with the truth 
and starting with the ability. So I'm just speaking for me as a, uh -huh. you trace my ancestry back. I'm Irish and British. Uh -huh. You go back. I mean, you can't uh -huh. like the British just colonized everybody, including yeah. the Irish. They started yeah. with the Irish and then yeah. they just moved on. Uh -huh. so, um, and not any better than the Spanish or the Dutch or whatever. I'm not, not getting into that. Yeah. But for me, I think a big part of it for me is to be able to humble myself enough to say, yeah, this is the truth. These yeah. are the things that happened. Mm -hmm. And not feel like I have to defend my ancestors or uh, make excuses right. or, or do this thing that we want to do all mm -hmm. the time. Go, well, at least. Well, yeah, there's none of that. There's mm -hmm. no need for any of that. And so my mm -hmm. hope for myself mm -hmm. is to be able to just look at things honestly, have an honest conversation, teach my children and the people in my circle of influence what uh -huh. the truth is yeah. without, um, without the things that shame brings to us. So my, my position is that guilt provokes us to change and shame is the thing that keeps us from change. Oh, so good. Sometimes I feel guilty about the things that my ancestors did and right. that's great because yeah. it is the thing that provokes me to be more aware of my behavior and my mm -hmm. position and the language that I use and the approach mm -hmm. that I take to working with indigenous communities yeah uh -huh. um, what I want to avoid is I want to avoid allowing myself or anybody in my circle of influence to start to to get into the the shame trap because that's right. the thing prevents us from change mm -hmm. and so these things happened that's it they happened yeah and so now what yeah now, what do we do? now we know and and so what now what here we mm -hmm. go yeah and there are lots of things i think that we can do but it really has to chart start with truth there can be no reconciliation without understanding the truth and the impact of the truth and we mm -hmm. don't need to dwell on it it doesn't need to be like from my perspective, it doesn't need to be something that I, I sit around and bemoan and beat myself up about or, or right. feel shame over or any mm -hmm. of that stuff. It just needs to be something I'm knowledgeable about, uh -huh. something that I'm aware of and something that when I forget, when I forget that I give people in my circle of influence permission to check me and remind me. Right. Give people in my circle permission oh. to say, Hey, hey, wait a minute. No, no, no. You're slipping. You're slipping. You're forgetting, uh -huh. forgetting who you are and what your place is. Bring it on back. Yeah. And I do. And I and I think that that's important. I think as yeah. a white woman who grew up with a lot of privilege um, and who has the opportunity to be a champion, to be an ally, to be a collaborator, I think that yeah. that, key, that is one of the key things for me is to give people in my circle of influence permission to check me. Wow. That's a great answer. Wow. Alan, Alan, your thoughts. What does it, um, what does it mean to you? I, it, it's, it's encompassing. It's all encompassing. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, so I had a conversation with a Bishop who was, I was on his council for quite a while as a wow. indigenous advisor. This mm -hmm. is back in a Catholic era. I don't know for mm -hmm. lack of a better description, trying to understand where and what we fit in the world and, and yeah. is there reconciliation with the Catholic church? I, there isn't for me any longer. Okay. Um, however, 
I brought up the art articles of the Truth and Secret Reconciliation Commission, like the findings of the, the, the recommendations. And I said that there were an overwhelming effort needs to be put in there to, 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 to manage that. Oh, but not oh. for us. You know, it was a response. The Catholic Church, it's all, that's education stuff. A lot of it's to do with other things that aren't directly related to the church, like instant, instant, you know, disregard of, of, of the effect that residential schools had and in, in, in this overwhelming capacity was just blown off and put aside because the only thing we have to do as an indigenous advisory board to the bishop, this is the bishop saying that to me, was that we need wow. to, you know, talk about a few items that are directly related to the church and what we need to do is for the church needs to do it. And I'm like, oh, because it's pervasive. Every action has created this, you know, we talk about intergenerational trauma and people are getting their roll their eyes about it now because it's, uh -huh. but it's like an interconnected trauma for a group of people that still exists. Uh -huh. And it's yep. still, and it still has effect on every one of us uh -huh. to a high degree. Uh -huh. And it's like, well, why can't you get over it? Well, we can't get over it because we're, you know, universally yeah. damaged or wounded or hurt or mm -hmm. you know, in some kind of trauma we've got to deal from, deal yeah. out of and, and find a way out of. So I did find it come across somebody who said something really poignant. I don't know where it came from, but that reconciliation mm -hmm. is not something that the reconciliees should be driving. Right. It's all the people that benefit from this wonderful country that is wanting to bring in, you know, immigrants from all manner of points in the world uh -huh. should be driving that there's enough resources and money been taken off the land out of the land off uh, out of this country that uh -huh. wasn't you know, empty uh -huh. when colonization occurred right um there wasn't a war that got fought and we got beat it, it was like promises made and treaty and treaties broken mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that are just like okay it's still existing we're still being like marginalized and people are benefiting from that marginalization um, right. regarding whether they think they are or not. So it's like some people really think they got it going on by being huh. pleasant but, and being this and that, or they're not that way. But reconciliation needs to be driven by the rec people that need to do the reconciling. And reconciliation isn't an empty thing. Yeah. Like it's not a I acknowledge, land acknowledgments. Oh my God, if I hear another one, I'm going to smash myself in the head with a hammer. Like, so. You know, I acknowledge that I took your, your water bottle, but I'm not giving it back. I just right. want to acknowledge that it's now mine and thank you and, mm -hmm. you know, acknowledge that it was yours. And this is somebody's, some teacher's lecture to his, his students, you know. That's a good I mean, point. So anyways, not, not acknowledge or drive it crazy. Reconciliation needs to be driven by people who need to do the reconciling. Because mm -hmm. we're, we, I don't want to, I don't know how to drive it. How do I change when literally now what were 90 million natives in the country across mm -hmm. the continent 90 million 100 million of us i should say yeah indian people across the continents america and the states but yeah. down you know been reduced to 10 million so there should be nine of me there should be nine of my brother and my sister yeah. my cousin there should be nine mm -hmm. of each of us we've been decimated and reduced to like just been reduced greatly reduced and uh, at, while we're being reduced other people are flooding into this wondrous rich resource filled you know uh, new world right that's this empty new world <laughs> and you know there's a, the, the the doctrine of discovery needs to be rescinded there's all manner of things uh -huh. that need to be 
So truth is, the doctrine of discovery was false, you know, um, and so we got to look at those hard facts. The reality is there is no ownership of land. Like, none of us can ultimately own it. It's a premise. So that, uh -huh. that was why like, when treaties were made, it was just kind of like a nonsensical thing. What do you mean we own the land? There's no ownership yeah. of it. Yeah, take take fill your pockets with all the land you can put in your pockets and take to have it you know take on to the you know the afterlife mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're you right can't, yeah yeah you can't own anything. and that That's was the premise point that, yeah so a treaty was based mm -hmm. on so we have this treaty being based on people who don't have the same mentalities are understanding the same thing they're not mm -hmm. seeing the treaty promises in the same light and this is like like UNDRIP and the United Nations, there's a whole raft of things that are just absolutely proving what I'm saying. And in uh -huh. fact, you know, world governments relate, like the Declaration of Indigenous Peoples, it's like a thing, it's a real thing, but we don't yeah. want to admit and talk about it in Canada. Uh -huh. We don't want to actually get into the meat and potatoes of it and the truth of it, because uh -huh. it just, I don't know, I don't know how to do it. So I don't have it within me to recon do reconciliate reconciliation. Right. I just right. I, I don't I need help. We need help. We need people to be truthful in all manner of ways be truthful. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So, wow. Anyway, I don't know if that answers your question at all. No, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. <laughs> well uh, thank you for just a second. Uh, you know, yeah. when you said that, Alan, it makes me think of, you know, um, we have all this awareness around abusive relationships and we don't ever expect the subject of the abuse to be the one to advise the abuser on how the reconciliation should happen. Right. And so what, and, and, and for me, like as someone who, you know, benefited from colonization in a different way, uh -huh. um, I, I recognize, I don't know what I can do, but you know what I'm, let's figure that out. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. And there are small things I can do. There are things that I can do that just, just come from me that I, I just do in my practice, whether that is just being honest or just being mm -hmm. empathetic or just being patient or whatever that is. Right. Yeah. But if everybody just takes the position. I can do something. Then something's going to happen. happen. Like some yep. things will start to happen. But yeah, that's, yeah. You, know, you say that, that's the way that I look at it from my perspective is that, uh -huh. you know, I would never, if I offended you, I would never expect you to tell me how to, how to reconcile that. You know, yeah. I would, I, all you need to do is and say that's that. Thing, that's an indigenous mindset to say, Kiam, which is, it's a simple word meaning, um, that's like, it's a small thing. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to walk. I can't fix that. It's unfixable. Yeah. It's just, I'm going to, I'm going to take my personhood away from somebody who has offended me. So then the offense oh. doesn't go anywhere. I can't carry that. I can't pick up that burden okay. of the offended person. Yeah. So we walk away from it. It's not out of cowardice. It's out of like my own peace for my own family. Yeah. You know, keeping him intact, especially doing these ceremonies and, and staying, you know, committed to Sundance for four years. I don't have the spiritual, mental well-being to monitor other people's garbage. I have right. to stay focused for my own personal safety, spiritual oh. safety. Yeah. I have to I have to not get involved in people's garbage. Mm. Right. And that's a maturity thing too, but at the same time it's like I just need for people to drive. So we all greatly benefit as Canadians. If you want to talk about being Canadians, we're greatly benefiting every time we turn around. So Canadians need to drive reconciliation in a truthful mm. capacity. The people that are benefiting from it, 
need to drive it because yeah. sometimes we're not benefiting. Like, for instance, tax-free status. Um, I'm tax-free on the res, but half an inch off the reservation, I'm not tax-free. Right. Now, right. there's a little bit of other ways you can manage and the rest of it, but you have to be uh-huh. – you know, so I'm limited to something that's not – we were never to be taxed anywhere. My ta- uh-huh. one, of my ta- one of my treaty promises is to not hang by rope. Well, thank goodness for that. Uh-huh. But I can barter. Barter barter is part of the treaty promises in Treaty 8. So I should be able to make money bartering with tax-free because barter is in there. So uh-huh. there's all these treaties. Oh, the medicine chest, that's where our free health care yeah. comes from. What if the treaty promise, you know, uh, that got broken with, uh, and then cows and plows, twine. Um, the laughable thing right now is that we get $5 a year from the crown, from the, the queen as a treaty promise, I every man, woman, and child on the res but it's been five dollars a year since 1989 1899 so it should be substantially more than five dollars per year right so it never changed there was no increase in it over all the years so when we go to court and say no five dollars is now worth you know five thousand a year fifteen hundred a year two thousand a year whatever it is Uh right in today's money um they're like you know people who well you just want more money well no how many people have gotten died because I'm only eligible for an increase on this $5 a year or, or a back pay on it for my lifetime. But my mother didn't get hers. My grandfather, my grandparents, the rest of them, they were all shorted on this $5 a year that stayed $5 a year. So literally uh-huh. I didn't get my $5 a year for 13 years. I got $65. Like it's laughable. It's actually kind of yeah. one of our in-house jokes about mm. treaty money. Five bucks. Five yeah. Bucks, right? Wow. So there's all these things that happen. I did get 30 grand back for cows and plows because the value, and they never really could have ascertained the value was that they were supposed to bring, a, they were supposed to be into treaty promises, a cow for such and such and plow and farming mm-hmm. equipment. Right? And then those got put off to other people who were Indian agent managing us. So they never did get to the reses. So it was just mm-hmm. all this matter of, nefarious activity yeah. around us that have you know done two things we can't you know bank on our money we can't go to the bank with equity we don't want to put our, our communities into into municipality status we don't want to lose our sovereign status nation you know because we have 19 you know sucker creek's 19 square miles of sovereign nation we don't want to start mortgaging against that and potentially lose our, our land base so mm-hmm. we got to walk a real fine line and we need champions in the the, the the everyday world to drive yeah. reconciliation because we, yeah. we you know continual marginalization proven marginalization right mm-hmm. systemic racism blah 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 and it just <laughs> it, for me it's a real thing yeah. for other people that don't face it every day yeah like, yeah you need to whining i feel like they're saying to me yeah right? yeah i hear okay, you whining i want to acknowledge you're whining but we can't do nothing about your whining <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so i hear you I guess we'll uh, let Sherry speak and uh, uh, the answer the question of, you know, the important question is what matters to you? Mm-hmm. What matters to me? <clears throat> well, I take the position, like I I grew up in a village and, and that is the approach that I take to my life. Um, I raise my kids in a village. I have several villages. Um, Different villages give my family and my kids different things. And my position is that when we lift each other up, we lift everyone up. 
Yeah. And so that's what matters to me. What matters yeah. to me is what are the small things that I'm doing in my practice, yeah. in my work with First uh-huh. Nations, that is going to lift somebody up. And I, uh-huh. I'm one of those people that believes that the the greatest impact comes with the smallest acts of service. Yes. And so that's what I focus on because I, I know who I am and I know what my lane is mm-hmm. and I know that that changes with time and experience and education and all of those yeah. things Today, mm-hmm. right now, what can I do? What can I yeah. do here right now? Um, my, my undergrad is in child studies and I have, I'm, I'm writing my thesis uh, for a master's in disaster and emergency management. And so that is the approach that I take um, when I'm thinking about truth and reconciliation and I'm looking at, so what I look at is um, the number 66 on the, um, the list of, of items that, that were that were founded and, and agreed upon, and that is youth programs. And so that's kind of the approach that I take is what I can, what can I do in the context of youth programs uh-huh. that are going to make a difference um, towards reconciliation? And what are the small acts of service that I can do when I have opportunities? And and how do I teach my children? My children yeah. are the people that are going to make a real difference. Uh-huh. And that's that's the other approach that I take. I don't really... I don't know that we're going to have a whole lot of success with my generation or my parents' generation or mm-hmm. even my siblings' generation. Yeah. Um, but I do know that I can have a lot of influence over y- children and youth. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's where I focus the majority of my energy. Although I recognize I need buy-in from decision makers and people in power uh-huh. and that kind of thing, I really do believe that the biggest change that I can make is focusing on and supporting and encouraging and uplifting children and youth uh-huh. in, in the environment that I have influence over and that I have a knowledge base in and, and in ways that are meaningful to them, not, not ways. Everything is meaningful to me because I'm an old yeah. lady. Now I'm at, you know, there's more of my life behind me than there is ahead of me. So, there's, you know, so yeah. uh, ways to make things meaningful yeah. for people that I serve. <laughs> what matters no, to it. you? I love it. I love uh, Sherry's comments about the children because yeah. again that 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 re- re- resounds in mm-hmm. because of the because of the tie-in with the Aboriginal con- the native concept of our relations and uh-huh. it just brings in that I'm the link the voice right now of the ancestors that did all the right things to get me uh-huh. to be alive. And I'm the voice right now to set the stage for our children who are our future. Like we won't be here in 20, 30 years. Right. They're going to be torchbearers of that. Our children mm-hmm. are like, it's what we do. Everything. It's it's the yeah. bind. It's the purpose. It's our yeah. purpose. Right? So, wow. so you're right. Barry. If there's a hope, there's also hope for new people coming to Canada. Somebody said, real smart lawyer said that to me at a conference a while back mm-hmm. that, yeah, let's bring all as many new people from all over the world that are coming from all sorts of manner of, and bring them in here because they can, they know, they get it. <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Well said, both of you guys. Again, thank you. thank you so much for spending some time with me and talking about this very important subject. I really appreciate it uh, beyond words. So thank you. Thank Gosh, you. Thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. How oh, 
so amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity. No, thank awesome. you. Seriously. <laughs>